This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Coach, we're ready to play. My name is John A. Tate. I've got James Tate sitting opposite me. How you going? And this is the sporting record here at 855 3CR, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Well done. <laughs> got there. Today we're talking sport. We've got Commonwealth Games that everyone's talking about. We've got World Cup soccer about to begin. World Cup fever, John. And second half of the program, we've got a special guest. But first... The Sporting Record would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional custodians of the land from which we broadcast this program and on which much of our local sport is played. We also acknowledge the incredible contribution of First Nations athletes to Australia's sporting life. We pay respects to the elders past and present. So, John. Yes, James. Um, the big story at the moment is that uh, Daddy Dan, Dan Andrews, has pulled the pin on the Commonwealth Games happening in regional Victoria in a couple of years' time. Everyone's apparently, talking about it. Apparently the costs were blowing out or projected to blow out from around $1 billion to well over $4 billion, estimates of up to over $6 billion, which is a lot of money. And I put it to you, yes. do we really care? <laughs> well, I don't. You don't? No. Why well, not? a little bit, but Why not, not much. Um, look, everyone's talking about this. Every uh, news program and sports program on the air has been uh, talking about it, and it's mostly negative, mostly very critical of Dan. You know, saying, "Oh, the athletes will be disappointed," and "Oh, you know, our reputation is shattered." As a sporting uh, capital. As the World Cup's about to start here, which will be the most attended (laughs) women's sporting event in history. Yes, yes, I know. But uh, look, think about it. Who are the stakeholders here? Obviously, the government and the local councils who would be footing the bill, uh, but getting uh, on the other side of the coin, you know, some facility updates and things like that. Uh, The athletes are a stakeholder, of course. The spectators are stakeholders. And probably the tourism and businesses that would be benefiting from uh, all the extra people coming around. Well, that's the precise reason why Dan, well, the Labor government in Victoria, not just Dan, of course, that was the main reason why they decided to host it in the first place, to provide a huge boost in their eyes to the local economy all around Victoria, not in the city. Had someone else pulled out and we took over? Was there... I have vague memories of... Back then, well, it's lost deep in the in, in the news cycle because no one's mentioned it. But you know, the big story is that we're not doing it anymore. And I do feel for the for the towns that were going to host this because those towns are often struggling. But they would have been part of the decision. It wasn't just Dan, you know, being a dictator and saying we're not doing this anymore. Right. The local 
councils and and local governments surely had a say in it, saying, I don't know if we can afford this. Mm. I also extend my sympathies to all the athletes out there who are mentally preparing and physically preparing for these events. But their events will continue just somewhere else. They won't be in Melbourne. So the only athletes disappointed would be the Melbourne ones who, you know... Who get to stay home. Like the Victorian ones, I mean. Yeah. But, you know, they they can still keep training and they'll still go to the Commonwealth Games wherever they happen to be. Well... Uh, a potential front runner for a replacement is Christchurch in New Zealand. Oh, got on. So got obviously, <laughs> Christchurch have had a pretty tough run. They oh, had those yeah. horrible earthquakes. Then, of course, COVID would come along and, and knock them back again. So, talking about boosting economies, that could be very good for Christchurch. Um, I will just note because it's a cost blowout that there um, is the main reason why they're not doing this anymore. Um, the federal government could always kick in money like they did with the Hobart Stadium. Mm-hmm. Granted, it's a lot more money than the Hobart Stadium. They they chipped in. Um, but if they really want to boost these local economies with a big old silly colonial event, you know, the federal government could easily s- step in because radio monetary, uh, modern monetary theory would tell us, <laughs> um, you know, the government can spend whatever money they want as long as it doesn't cause inflation. All spending is inflationary. And that's just a brief note. So it's a lack of political will, I would put this down to. And also, Labor introduced a tough budget in Victoria uh, because of debt from uh, COVID spending and all that jazz. So that's probably going into the decision. But it's the Commonwealth Games. It's not the Olympics. It's not the uh, World Cup. It's not the Formula One Grand Prix, which is a worldwide thing. It's the Commonwealth Games that are only open to former Commonwealth countries. Countries that the Empire, the Great British Empire, have fundamentally destroyed. That's right. Most of them got screwed over anyway by the uh, Empire. Yeah, so... Hmm. They used to be called the Empire Games, you know that? Yeah, well, isn't that indicative of what it stands <laughs> for? Now they say it stands for the, uh, the shared values of integrity and equality and all these things, but nah, come on, that's just putting spin on it. People are saying the Commonwealth Games might be dead... After this, no one really wants to host them anymore. No. So it brings a question. Why can't uh, they always be held in the same place, probably England somewhere, and uh, use those facilities over and over and over again? Or another idea, what if we hosted it in countries that really would enjoy a boost to their local economy and all the Commonwealth countries chip in? You know, you share the investment... All that money goes towards these economies, like, I don't know what comes to mind. You have it in India, you know? Mm-hmm. Have it in a, a city in India that would use the boost pretty well, and off you go. You know, that's another idea. But no one wants to chip in for something that doesn't happen in their own country. So now, I only have one small pang of remorse about this. Pang. Yes. Uh, squash is a Commonwealth sport, and it's in the Commonwealth Games. It's one of the few times squash gets into the We can't limelight. get it into the Olympic Games. They just won't accept us. Any reason why? Uh, I don't know. Every other racket sport's there, but I'm not going to get into that. It is in the Commonwealth Games, and uh, that's my only pang of remorse. That's a fair pang. Squash... But- it was a Commonwealth sort of a game that spread around the Commonwealth, but the best players in the world at the moment are Egyptians. So the Egyptians can't come to the Commonwealth Games. No. So it probably wouldn't be much anyway. One of the great forgotten sports, Squash. <laughs> One of the great forgotten sports. So we're going to turn to the World Cup now. World Cup fever, John. It's happening. It's here. 
starting tonight. In fact, when you turn off the sporting record at around 5pm, the very first game will be starting in New oh, Zealand. Over in, uh, is it in the Cake Tin? Yep, it's at Eden Park. Uh, in New Zealand. That's not the cake tin. The cake tin's in Wellington. I don't know these colloquial yeah. names. Um, so it's New Zealand against Norway, who are uh, typically quite a good team. Yeah. And then following that game, so that starts at 5pm, <clears> and then following that, we've got Australia and Ireland on at 8pm, which is being played at Stadium Australia. Do you know what Stadium Australia is? No, because they've taken all of the uh, sponsors' names out of the stadiums, haven't they? Yeah, all these stadium names that we don't know because they've always had sponsors. See, in Melbourne, they're playing the games at the Rectangular Stadium. They're not calling it that other name that's Amy been Park. used. That's right. They're just calling it the Rectangular Stadium in Melbourne. Isn't that bizarre? But I, I approve of that. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, get I'm the bloody sponsors. It. I mean, the one, the one big glaring uh, thing for the World Cup, it's all going to be pretty bloody positive for Australia and everything, but the one blight is that the Matildas are officially called the Combank Matildas. Oh, are they? The Matildas brought to you by Commonwealth Bank, no. which I think's a bit. But you no. know, they can have they they need all the and money. FIFA they can allow get. that, do they? Well, in a lot of the news articles, they've been referred oh, to that. In the warm up okay. games, they've been referred to that. Whether they are referred to that in the event, we'll see. But it's World Cup fever, John. So no, I was watching morning news program this morning. Yes, morning news is good. And the newsreader uh, said with great gusto, Matildas are on the brink of glory. The brink? That's, that's pretty close. Well, our reaction was, really? I think they're talking us up a little bit too much. I think we are in need of a bit of a reality check here. A reality check is regarding Go on. regarding the Matildas. Throw us in it. I mean, they're pretty good. We love them, and the team is probably the strongest it's ever been. Mm. So they've got a chance, and they're playing at home. But uh, realistically, if you look at the FIFA rankings at the moment, we're number ten in the world. Number, number ten. Number ten. So there's nine teams better than us on paper. Yes, and the favourites, of course, are the USA. Or Sweden, who are number two, mm. Germany three, England four, France, Spain, Canada, Brazil, the Netherlands. They're all above us yeah. in the rankings. Mm. Any of those teams could win it, really. We've got a chance. We've never made the semifinals before. So that's just the reality check. That's a good reality check. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's all right. Um, the, what I worry about with the, this, this, you know, we're on the brink of success type of rhetoric is that it sets it up for a big failure if we don't win the whole thing. Mm. When really, um, this has been a, a remarkable success before even the first game has started. Oh, yeah, it's been fantastic. Like I said, it's going to be the most attended women's sporting event, standalone sporting event, ever in history. Over 1.25 million tickets have sold, with more to come, obviously. And it's estimated that about 2 billion people worldwide will watch the World Cup. It's a lot of people. Now, that's got to be good for tourism. It's about of a quarter of a planet. So, Commonwealth Games, <laughs> World Cup, tick. That's pretty good. Would you like uh, a quick piece of Matilda's trivia? Yes, go on. You might already know this, I don't know, but I'll, I'll try you out. Do you know where Matilda's got their nickname? Their... Mm. <laughs> where did the Matilda's get their nickname? Well, um... I believe it was back in 1995, John, yes. uh, in the lead-up to a Women's World Cup game. I'll turn that down a bit. <laughs> um, and SBS put out a poll uh, asking what the public think 
the uh, women's soccer team should be. So some of the options were, uh, off the top of my head, the um, the Waratahs was one. Was the Gillaroos one? The Gillaroos probably. Uh, but they eventually settled on the Matildas, which has been a stroke of genius. But it's not after the song. Really? Waltzing Matilda. It is after the... The speaking of the Commonwealth Games, the giant kangaroo that was the mascot for the Brisbane Commonwealth Games. Really? And I don't know if you remember this. Maybe you weren't born, but there, it was uh, th- this giant kangaroo w- was on wheels and it was going around the stadium, and its eye would wink at people. It was yeah. huge, yeah. and that mascot was called Matilda. Amazing! That's a great piece of trivia. Yeah, I've got Thank some uh, in the. A historical context of Australian sport, I'm just going to go through it briefly, uh, for women's soccer in particular. Um, it's been about 100 years, almost on the dot, 102 to be exact, of uh, the history of official women's football in this country. So way back in 1921, uh, the first women's soccer match was played in Brisbane. It was North Brisbane against South Brisbane. And there'd been a bit of a campaign to get women involved in the sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are a lot of people who moved from overseas to Australia who are then worried. Oh, not worried. They they weren't able to play the sport. You know, people coming from England and oh, yeah, all those yeah. places, they'd move here. Who were, sport, who were mad about soccer. Yeah, these women who play soccer over there and they come here and they, there are no clubs. There's nothing to do. So the campaign started. The first game was uh, played as a curtain raiser. And it had 10,000 people watching way back in 1921. <laughs> Granted, it was a curtain raiser for a men's game. Oh, yeah. But, you know. but nonetheless, what an amazing way to start the spectacle of the sport. And then at some point along history, I, I don't have when exactly, but it was the game of soccer was banned in this country for women. Oh. Yeah, because it was deemed medically inappropriate. Oh, okay. So the the horrible toxic medicine industry <laughs> struck. Anyway, we get back to 1991 when a World Cup happened and Australia was was the the, the promotion of the team was happening, and it's grown ever since there. Um, but some of the things, I mean, they never had money, they never had funding. So you know, the teams would bake lamingtons and sell them to raise money. They even did a nude calendar. I remember that, yes. Yes, you remember that, to raise money for overseas trips. And now it stands to be an enormous thing, and we've come over the last 10 years. You know, 10 years ago, only a few thousand people would show up to domestic games for women's soccer. Now everywhere's sold out. Mm. 80,000 plus tonight they're expecting. Little girls are wearing their shirts with their favourite players' numbers on. So it's it's just going to be an unrivaled success, I reckon. Even before we ever play a game, even if we don't win any games, this is an important moment for this country's sporting life, and that's what we're all about here on the Sporting Record. And we should take our hats off to those early pioneers of women's football in Australia. Oh, trailblazers, trailblazers. So uh, we're going to get to the second half of this program soon. We'll have a few messages. And then we're going to play a song by the band Cool Mist, of who one of the members will be joining us. Uh, 3CR legend Grant Hansen, uh, formerly of the Mangrook Footy Show fame, which is still bouncing around, and the founder of Cool and Deadly Radio Station, one of the few radio stations we plug other than our own. So we're going to put on Do the Right Thing by Cool Mist, and then we'll talk to the one and only Grant Hansen. Thank you. 
to live my life as a man who gave the best that I That was Cool Mist uh, with Do the Right Thing. Now, we're going to have Grant Hansen on the line, hopefully, if we can do this right. Hello, Grant. Are you there? Yes. Good afternoon, guys. How are you? How good's that? We're well, Grant. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. A bit cold, but I'm fine. Yes. I like the sun. <laughs> 
Now, Grant, when you were in here uh, over the summer break, we had yeah. a, a, a good hour with you. It was great fun, and we yeah. really appreciated it at that time yeah. coming in. But you yep. said you'd come back when Essendon were going to play the Bulldogs during the season. <laughs> You've so got I a believe great memory, you, John? <laughs> I believe that matches tomorrow night. Oh yes, it is, and uh, what a game that should be! I think both sides are pretty even, Stevens, when it comes to it. I think it'll be a close one. And, Who would have uh, thought it'd be seven versus eight? Yeah, exactly that. And look, you know, Essendon have really improved this year under the new coach, and um, Scotty's done a great job. I think uh, Essendon's got a really good brand of footy now. Their backline sides are tight. Uh, they play an attractive game, and, you know, they've had a few injuries this year that's probably cost them. Peter Street was out for a few weeks, but I think the nucleus of the side is uh, pretty good going forward. A few more um, draft picks and a couple other players from another club, and Nesson can find themselves back in the top six maybe next year. Yeah, they've certainly improved from last year, and uh, we can see the, the improvement going on. How are you feeling about your Bulldogs? Are they... Uh, a bit disappointed with the Doggies at the moment, Um I think quite a few players have played out of position. I think there's quite a few every week that aren't really are not playing AFL standards to be getting the game. So I think that's the danger. When you're carrying three or four guys every week in a team of 22, mm. by the time September comes around, the side's stuffed. But you've seen that the last few years with the Bulldogs. They get to September and there's no more petrol left in the tank. And I think it's because they've worked so hard, they get to September and they're buggered. I've, and, uh, uh, might have to do a bit of a clean-out next year, I think, Yeah, the end of well, the season. I've just got uh, some flashbacks ahead of Friday night of when Essendon made the finals for the first time in a long time a couple of years ago, and the Bulldogs yep. absolutely pumped us. <laughs> so yeah. I'm a bit worried, Grant. I'm a bit worried. Um, yeah, no, look, I think it's at Marvel, and I think I think it'll be a close game. I, I don't think it'll be a blowout from either side, and... Uh, I just hope it's a good game to watch. It's hard to find a good game every weekend. You might get two and the others are pretty average. So, as you say, seven plays, they expect a pretty good standard and, and a free-flowing game, I would think. Now, there was an issue I wanted to ask you about, a fairly serious one, really. Uh, yeah. We're two whitefellas in here. We don't quite understand all of this. But yep. um, I was reading an article last week about Junior Rioli. Yes. And, and I'm a bit slow on the uptake. Because I remember thinking, why would why is his name Junior? Why would you call this guy Junior? Yes. But then the article reminded me that that's actually not his name. Because the article was saying uh, it's been a year since his father passed away, and he will be getting his name back. Mm. Uh, can you? What is that all about? Well, Junior is his uh, is his name because his father's name was Cyril. So, you know, Cyril, Cyril Jr., Cyril oh. Senior and Cyril Jr., so they don't get mixed up. Oh, was it Willie or Cyril? I think it was uh, Willie. It was Willie. I'm not sure if I'm allowed Willie? to say it, though. Um, you can, but um, I'm not sure, really. Well, why they, what, what they would be, I thought his dad's name was Cyril, too, but it might be Willie. Actually, that rings a bell. Anyway, your point, your point remains. So what if his father's name had been something else, like John? Uh, he would not have had to change his name for that year? Um, look, I mean, usually what happens, that's with traditional names. Yeah. That, that usually gets um, talked about a lot. And so I'm not quite sure what's the reason behind that. Uh, maybe just out of pure respect uh, for his father, his grandfather. He's named after somebody. Mm. So whoever's name it was, um, sometimes they don't use that name for a year and then they reclaim it back again. So if 
that might be the case, I would imagine. I'd imagine every mob would have different uh, different laws regarding sorry business and all that. Would that be true? Oh, 100%. I mean, um, you know, Aboriginal Australia is a very multicultural um, society. And, you know, BC, before Captain Cook came here, you know, 500 tribes in Australia, and mm. uh, different laws, different you know countries. Some are at the on the on the coast, some are in the desert, some are in the highlands. You know, so there was all different um, um, customs and laws that each mob had. So not everyone was the same, but usually when someone did die, that was a pretty common thing not to use that name. And and at times they would change their tribal name to something else. Right. Um, mm. Let's go to something a bit more trivial. Yep. I've got a favourite uh, Facebook page called Useless AFL Stats. Um, <laughs> yes. And it's quite fun. And there was one I read the other day about twins who have played against one another. So there's oh. six sets of twins who have actually played at this level against mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. James and Grant, have you got any ideas who some of those twins might be? Against uh, each maybe other. Maybe the Cole brothers, one from Geelong and one from mm. Melbourne. What was their name? Cole, K-O-L. Oh, well, you might be right. That's not one of the ones I've got on my list. Cockatoo Collins? No, <laughs> I haven't got them either. Okay. Uh, there's two playing currently, Max and Ben King. One yes. plays for Gold Coast, one plays for St Kilda. What about um, Collingwood and Sydney, yeah. the Reed boys? Yeah, one well... Collingwood, well played in Sydney. You, you might be right. Playing. That's not on my list either. They are, oh, they're brothers. They're not twins. They're brothers, not yeah, twins. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you've got the Wakelands good. who were at Collingwood. Well, Shane was at Collingwood and yeah. Daryl Wakeland was at Port Adelaide. Yes. But I'll tell you what made me laugh. I was watching the VFL um, on telly a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Essendon mm-hmm. game, and Elwyn Davy Jr. was playing very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, the commentator, the, the camera swung around to the bench and the yep. commentator says, oh, my God, Elwyn Davies got a puffer jacket on and runners. <laughs> anyway, the game went on. I'm yelling at the TV. You know, it's his <laughs> brother, you idiot. But uh, about five minutes later, he says, oh, I think the Elwyn da- uh, the Davy twins have played tricks on me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, oh, um, God. that's some great stats, John. And I think uh, <laughs> the reason why that was definitely circulating the internet is because Ben and Harry Mackay have never played each other in their entire careers, which is about, ah. you know, getting up to almost yeah. 10 years now in the competition. And oh. so there's a rumour that they are actually the same person. <laughs> <laughs> what were the six that you came up with anyway, John? I'm interested in that. Oh, uh, the Wakelands, the Selwoods, or two of the Selwoods, Adam and Troy. Uh, yeah. The Browns, Nathan and Mitch. Mitch Brown from West Coast. There were a few Mitch Browns, haven't they? Uh, yeah. The Loneys, Ryan and Nathan. Yeah. Yes. And uh, Cade and Jade College Ajnish. Yeah. Yes. Well, hey, I've got, I've got another quick bit of trivia that I discovered today, once again from this yep. same site. You know the Dersma family? Yep. Um, Xavier Dersma plays at Port Adelaide. Yep. Um, their parents, when they were naming their children, have a, a, a bit of a code because the first yeah. one was Xavier, second one yep. Yasmin, who's also playing at Port Adelaide, women, yep. and... There's a rookie about to be drafted called Zane. X Y Z. Beautiful. Useless AFL stats. Is Jamie Dersmer their father? He used to play for Sydney Swans. Maybe. Yeah, I think he probably is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
There you go. Now, we're quickly coming up on time. So uh, just before we go, Grant, uh, out of respect for you and your lovely club, we're going to play the, the good old Footscray Club song <laughs> on uh, 33 uh, RPM uh, vinyl single. But it's the jazz one. It's Smacker Fitzgibbon and, uh, and the jazz band. Yes, I used to be on uh, Laurel, uh, was it that Saturday night with Mike Williamson and um, Mate, uh, Mary Hardy? Yeah, it? that's yeah. the same guy. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks for joining us today, Grant. It's always wonderful to hear your voice, and I hope things are going well. Likewise. Just before we go, is there anything you'd like to plug that you're involved with or getting up to lately? Um, Blackfire, the Aboriginal band that I've been playing with for, for many years, has got back together after about a 10 year break, and um, we've got a brand new single out today called Talk and Treaty. And a film clip on YouTube, so you should check that out, and they can buy it, download it on iTunes and Spotify and all those sorts of things. Fantastic. Breaking news here on the Sporting Record. (laughs) How good's that? (laughs) You're on it. Perfect. Thanks, Grant, for joining us. We'll talk again soon. Nice to talk to you. Thank you. Bye. All right, here we go. Here's the Footscray theme song. Not Western Bulldogs, but Footscray. Here we go. Listen to that crackle. Scray, red, white, and blue. We will come up smiling if we win or lose. Others build their teams, my lads, and think they know the game. But you can't beat the boys of the bulldog breed that made old Fort Gray's name. 